you, Tom. You can be seated. <clears throat> I had a dream last night uh, that I was supposed to be preaching at FCBC. <laughs> Only I didn't realize I was supposed to be preaching until like the last song. And it dawned on me, oh my gosh, I'm preaching today. Oh, Peter, have you ever had this dream? <laughs> like you're <laughs> totally. Yeah. Emily or Linda, any who's taught regularly here, um, know this dream. So like, oh, I think I took some notes about something. Can I find these notes that I took? Oh, Janine's given the notes to Laura to chew on because she's just a baby or whatever. And oh, there they are. And so, yes, literally, chew on the word. And so I get up with these notes to preach, and uh, they're about some research I was doing about uh, experiments done on monkeys or something like that. It's like, <laughs> how do I bring a message out of this? And the notes were all higgledy-piggledy, you know, they were like cut out pictures of monkeys pasted. <laughs> I'm trying to make sense. Anyway. <laughs> yes. Yes. So, uh, anyway, anxiety dreams before teaching. Those of us who have the privilege of teaching do take this really seriously and do experience anxiety about the teaching. Lucky for me, for this morning, I was completely unprepared until this last song and realized as I was looking that there was a archaeological discovery in North Africa, uh, this letter from Martha of Bethany to her brother Lazarus was uncovered, and it was all about healthy correction. So instead of teaching, I'm just going to read this epistle from Martha of Bethany, and so I really didn't have to prepare anything anyway, uh, and thankfully i printed it out downstairs, and seriously, the totality of this teaching will be this epistle. So, this is uh, a recent discovery in North Africa. Martha of Bethany, servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, as one who receives the dead back to life, to my brother Lazarus, grace and peace to you and to all who meet in your home. My dear brother, not only in the flesh, but in the spirit, it was good of you to write and to send greetings from Mary and the brothers that live in Bethany. The brothers and sisters in Alexandria send greetings, as does my companion in the gospel, John Mark. I'm troubled to hear of the need for correction in the church, which meets in your home and of your reluctance in bringing a word of rebuke to some of the brothers and sisters. You know the Proverbs, rebuke the wise and they will love you, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. And you have seen with your own eyes the love with which our Lord Jesus rebuked his followers. In fact, he was so faithful at demonstrating the power of rebuke that some of us even dared to rebuke him. You will recall one of the many times in which he came to our home accompanied by his followers. I had often kept a meal at the ready for unexpected visitors, but none of us were prepared for the large gathering that followed him into our home on that day, not even me. 
Fifty or more guests arrived, both men and women, along with a large group of children. The home and our courtyard were filled to overflowing. You are aware of just how energetically, and interestingly she puts that in quotes, I tend to the household chores, LOL. I think it was like uh, love our Lord or something at that time. But this gathering was beyond anything I had experienced. Mary and two of the household servants had settled themselves next to the others at his feet as he began to teach. It was impossible for me to get her attention without interrupting the rabbi. So I went next door to her cousin Elizabeth's house, and she and her servants joined me in preparing raisin cakes and dried figs for such for a lunch that uh, we would be expected to serve. With each moment that passed, I became more and more upset at Mary and the other women of the household who had abandoned their duty and left all preparations to me. Had not the Lord himself often spoke of the greatness of serving? The Son of Man, he said, did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. Was I not taking after the Messiah in my preparations? And was not Mary acting as one of the Pharisees or teachers of the law, sitting and doing nothing but listening, while the guests that overwhelmed our home were left without hospitality? At one point, a group of children ran from the courtyard through the kitchen where me and Elizabeth were working. They upset a tray of cakes and tipped over one of the water jars. You recall how the rabbi allowed the chaos of children to whirl about us. Uh, She used a a smiley face emoji here. (laughs) But this was the sort of behavior even he would address. I was certain. Children wreaking havoc, the lack of servanthood in my sister, the need for generous hospitality, these were good and godly concerns. So I found my courage and interrupted the teacher. Perhaps he would use this occasion to bring a teaching on servanthood by correcting my sister. I could imagine, as was often the case with him, he might simply stand up and begin serving, teaching by example and shaming Mary for her disrespect of our guests. Lord, I said, forcing him to stop his teaching. He looked over at me. The heads of all seated in the room looked at me. Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Of course, if I had really ever listened to his teachings, I would have added your name to this demand as well, dear brother, LOL. I knew that it was bold to address a Savior like this. Some of our neighbors shifted uncomfortably at this rebuke of Jesus, you may recall. For me, a woman, to address a great rabbi so directly was a breach of propriety. And ordering him to tell our sister to help me was an anathema. But he had made so many of us women bold by the way in which he welcomed our voice. I was not afraid and was confident in my opinion and my demand. Do you remember what happened next? Mary was mortified. She began to get up and urge the servant girls to do likewise. But Jesus motioned for them to sit back down. Then he got up from where he was seated and crossed the room. I knew in my heart 
that this was the moment he would take up the towel and basin and undertake an act of servanthood, like wash the feet of our guests, another chore Mary had abandoned. But he simply came near and spoke my name, Martha. He looked at me with such compassion, maybe even sadness, and he said my name a second time, Martha. The room was so quiet, and he had that look he got when he was going to correct one of us who were dear to him. It occurred to me that I may have miscalculated. <laughs> I am sure my face was as red as the sunset by now, half with anger at Mary, half with embarrassment at everyone watching. He put a gentle hand to my elbow. You are worried and upset about many things, he said. And for a moment, I felt vindicated. He saw how upset I was, how burdened by all the work. Then he said, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. At this point, I wondered which one task he may might say was needed, preparing the cakes or washing the feet. But then he continued, Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. It was as though Jesus was looking right into my inner being. He was not rebuking me for interrupting his teaching. He suffered many interruptions over our years together without concern. It was not that he was correcting my desire for serving our guests. This was good, even if it was not the better. It was the heart of selfishness he spoke of, my obsession with service as uh, I was blind to the selfishness that lurked within. I was trying to take something from Mary. I wanted to take away her freedom to sit and learn at the rabbi's feet. Jesus wasn't mad that I was fixated upon serving others over all else. Even learning from him, this fixation with work has been a lifelong issue God has been working on slowly and gently. It was that I wanted to take away from Mary the freedom of setting aside work for him. I was stealing her purity of heart and hunger to learn, her joy in quietness and trust. It will not be taken away from her, he had said. My instinct, of course, was to defend myself. Jesus Christ, I thought to myself. <laughs> Remember how his name was not a swear word back then, LOL? I'm getting sick of the LOLs that she keeps littering this with. I was only doing what you had taught us to do, looking not to my own needs, but to the needs of others. But I held my tongue. I knew there was something about my desire to serve that was good, but I chose to let his words sink deeper. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. The rabbi was calling me to become my true self calling forth the divine image inside me, which would celebrate Mary's freedom from the conventions of women serving while men learned. It was like the old, I was like the older brother in his parable of the prodigal son. Few things are needed, he said. Remember his teaching on how the entire law and the prophets could be summed up in just two things, love God, love neighbor. In truth, I was neither loving God nor my neighbor in this frantic rushing about. My obsession with work was about me. It was about control. It was about being seen as the responsible one, not about love. 
I did not have the maturity to receive this correction right away. I left the room in a prideful huff. Later that night, after everyone left, I was able to welcome this rebuke and apologize to Mary and to Jesus. You know Mary, she threw her arms around me and kissed me, saying that of course she forgave me. Such a drama queen, LOL. (laughs) Jesus told me the raisin cakes were delicious. Then he and Mary helped me clean up. I learned to embrace rebuke that day, something about the sharpness of a rebuke that enters deep into a person. I knew that his correction was not coming from a place of irritation or anger, but that Jesus longed for me to grow in wisdom and grace. I could eventually see that after a few hours of fuming, even though in the moment I was upset and embarrassed, Jesus was more hungry for my maturity than my comfort, or even the comfort of our guests. And so, dear Lazarus, when you speak of the need for correction in the church which meets there in Bethany, I wonder if you have forgotten what Jesus taught us by his words and example, that we must long for one another's maturity over our own comfort. The sting of a well-spoken rebuke is a doorway to growth, None of us is right in all we say or do. We need each other, as iron can only be sharpened by another piece of iron. You know with what difficulty John Mark and I have begun to see the gospel come in Egypt. There is some need for correction here, but it is of a different sort than the correction given there among the Jewish believers. More than correction, it is a basic teaching of the way that the Gentiles need. Egyptian believers have no grounding in the ways of Yahweh. Idol worship is practiced from infancy, and it is all they know. We do not have the same expectations that we do of Jewish believers. We do not correct them for eating food sacrificed to idols, for instance. Even our brother Paul teaches that this is not wrong among the Gentiles. We must regularly translate the many forms of idol worship, into the right worship of God. The Holy Spirit is teaching them from within their own perspectives, traditions, and practices, writing the law of God on their hearts. When we do correct, it is not out of offense or irritation of their pagan mindset, but with an earnest heart to call forth the good we know resides in them. We must treat the Gentiles who are new to the faith with understanding, imploring them not to consider us gods and offer sacrifices to us when we heal the sick or bury their dead with articles for the afterlife as if God will not meet every need of those who fall asleep in Christ. You, my brother, have a different chore among the believers in Judea. With the Gentiles, there is more need for teaching than correction, but among the faithful, correction is desperately needed. Do not be afraid, brother, to call out religious arrogance, to correct those who do not love God and neighbor, to remind the believers to share with any in need. These are the things they have been taught from their youth. And guard your heart so that you do not bring correction from your own place of arrogance. I know how your resurrection from the dead has sometimes made you feel invincible or superior. Smiley face emoticon. (laughs) To correct out of a spirit of superiority or irritation at the conduct of others 
will fall flat. Correct out of a true desire to see your brothers and sisters excel in their spiritual maturity. Love is the best motivation for correction. And do not think that since you are mature in the Lord that you, my brother, have no need of correction yourself, even correction from those who are younger or less mature. For sometimes even a child knows the way of faith better than we who are old. Jesus taught us that we could not even enter the kingdom unless we become like a child. Uh, before I read the end of this epistle, I think it'd be great for you to pair up or get in small groups of no more than three and answer the question, have you ever experienced healthy correction or seen it given well? Um, and maybe a harder question, I'll let you reflect for a moment and then I'll turn, let you turn to a neighbor. How teachable would those close to you say that you are? Think about the people who know you best. And someone asks them privately, how teachable is he or she? What would they say? What would people who know you say about your teachability? Okay, take a moment, pair up or uh, groups of three, talk about ways in which you've experienced or seen or maybe given healthy correction. And then you don't have to share how teachable those close to you would say, although if there's someone close to you who knows you, you might ask, how teachable would you say I am? Um, and, you know, that's a question where you push through the politeness and courtesy, which has its value. I think courtesy, correction with courtesy is always a good thing. But there's a sharpness to correction that's required to get through the armor that we put up and really enter. And sometimes it's like through the side that those things come in, like Nathan with David. There's a story about uh, Nathan giving this story to David about a guy, poor guy who's got this lamb, and a rich neighbor takes it, and, and David's enraged, and then it's like, you're that guy. Boom. It's like he uses a totally different story to get around to the back door for David to see his own wickedness and hardness of heart and stuff like that. So sometimes it requires that back door. So turn to a neighbor. How have you seen healthy correction? Have you experienced it? Have you given it? <laughs> that was short. The answer is no and no.
All right, let who's ever sharing finish up. Okay, I'm going to read the last little bit of this epistle and uh, send us on our way. This is how Mary en- or Martha ends her <clears throat> epistle. Finally, dear brother, teach the church there to welcome the feeling of regret. One who has no regret is one who has stopped growing. Regret is simply a sign that you are learning. When Jesus first rebuked me and I put up a wall to reject his correction, I pushed regret away because I did not like the feeling. But when I let his words in and set aside my defensiveness, I was able to embrace regret. I was embarrassed at my pride being exposed. It is the sting of that rebuke and the regret that followed which has kept me vigilant. I'm quicker to see my pride, to acknowledge its hold on me, and to turn from it. Instruct the believers there to invite correction. Better to ask a trusted brother or sister how one might improve their character, or whether a sin has been observed in them, than to need someone to run into it and point it out. And when correction comes, teach them to take the rebuke seriously before dismissing it out of hand. Indeed, some rebuke may come tangled up with other things, but almost all rebuke from a friend reveals a sin which needs to be addressed. I, Martha, your sister, write to you with the affection of a co-laborer in the gospel and true servant, she puts in quotes, smiley face emoticon, of our Lord and of his church. He is risen. And she adds this P.S., and so are you, LOL. (laughs) So anyway, thank you for indulging me in my lack of preparation in discovering this epistle and just reading it to you for our sermon today. Uh, And I pray you take her words seriously, that... Correction is a gift. It's one of those gifts that we tend to have a knee-jerk reaction of rejecting, and it's one of those gifts that we are all really reluctant to give, not just the conflict-avoidant folk, like all folk, even folk who uh, allow or indulge or kind of like confrontation. It's still hard to do that. We need to get over that. If we want to see maturity in this body, if we want to see maturity in our brothers and sisters, we've got to bring correction. Even if we feel like, ah, I don't know, there's some of my stuff that's mixed in with this. Like, you know, let the Holy Spirit help sort that out. And welcome it. Receive it. Uh, So go in peace of the Lord Jesus Christ to love correction and to be one who offers that gift to others.